Psalm 7. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He is bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this sacred hymn, this sacred prayer, this sacred psalm, your word. We thank you, Father, and we ask that, Lord, you would open our hearts to this word, that, Father, you would give us understanding, that, Father, our understanding would be increased to such a degree that Psalm 7 would become part of our, our working tools in our hearts and in our minds, O oh, Father that we would understand how it works, that we would understand what its use is, what it's, what it's for, what its proper use is. And Father, we pray that we would be changed by it, that Father, you'd be pleased to work in our hearts by way of your Holy Spirit to such a degree that we are made more like Christ Jesus as we study this psalm even now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, we come to Psalm 7 this morning, and as we do so, we come to uh, the fifth of a string of what we call individual laments. And I've been using that word, individual laments. And I remember when I introduced it a few weeks ago, I asked if anyone had heard of, of that category, and there were a couple of hands that come up. Well, hopefully, if I were to ask that question now this morning, more hands would, would come up and that you would... Uh, begin to not only understand what an individual lament is, but also understand the usefulness in, in categorizing these psalms this way. Uh, we have Psalms 1 and 2, which serve as an introduction, and then Psalms 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. All five psalms are what we call individual laments. Uh, a psalm where an individual cries out to God, uh, and cries out in his uh, moment of distress and asks God to meet him uh, in that moment of distress. And you'll recall that 
Uh, I mentioned there are several components to an individual lament. And I think it's really useful for us to, to understand this. Because the first, the first one's easy. Uh, it's an individual lament because an individual is calling out to God. Uh, there are other laments known as community laments that we'll discover in this altar where a whole community, where a whole congregation uh, calls out to God. Uh, we could lift a community lament together should there be uh, something happen in the area which would call all of us to come in one, uh, one voice and one accord and lift that situation up to God. Though one may be speaking, all hearts are joined together in lifting that request to God and that would make it a, a community lament, now wouldn't it? But an individual lament, as we're an individual in this case, the title tells us it's Psalm David. Uh, he is calling out to God. That's the first component. The second component is he's calling out to God in some form of distress. There's a crisis that he's calling out to God over. There's some form, there's something that is initiating uh, this prayer. And the third element to an individual man is the element that I think is really, really useful. Is the psalmist is now... Uh, wrestling with God. I think this is the best word to use. He's wrestling with God, putting forth his prayer in order to try to move God to take action. Uh, he's wrestling with God in his prayer. It's very useful for us to read these things and see how the psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, truly wrestles with God in order to find deliverance from God. Uh, because, uh, quite frankly, very often uh, we come to God, we have our distress, but we don't know how to pray, do we? Have you ever had that experience? And you, hear, you go to pray and all you can hear is the crickets. But we've been learning that that's actually a prayer too, isn't it? Sighs are prayers. Cries are prayers. Groans are prayers. And we serve a God that's able to read all of those things. Doesn't that comfort you? To know that God would know us this way. Silence is a prayer. If our minds are focused on God, silence is a prayer. Sometimes silence is the best prayer we can offer where we just silently say, Lord, I just want to, I just want to enjoy you. I just want to bask in your presence. I don't want to say anything. That's a prayer. It's a prayer of adoration, isn't it? Now, I think a question that we should ask, and it's a question that we've entertained in previous messages, why do we have five individual laments stacked right up next to each other? Bang, bang, bang. Three, four, five, six, seven. Why do we have five of these? Why couldn't we get by with just one? Well, uh, what... What is one of the major purposes of the Psalms? One of the major purposes of the Psalms is to teach the people of faith how we're to get through this life with all of its troubles, isn't it? What does covenant life look like when it finds itself under all kinds of distress, under all kinds of problems, plowing through things in some cases that are unimaginable? That's life, isn't it? What does it look like for us to be faithful to God in the midst of all of that? The psalmist answers the question for us. That's why we have so many psalms. There's so many different situations. John Calvin was fond of saying there is no emotion that we are capable of having that is not touched upon by the Psalter. Whatever your emotions are, you can come to the Psalter 
And you can find those emotions. You can find comfort from God. You can see how we're to navigate through life in the midst of these problems. Now, the method that I've been using, and I know no other method than this one, is in trying to decipher, in trying to discern, what role does Psalm 3 play? What role does Psalm 4, Psalm 5, Psalm 6, Psalm 7, what role do they play? The only method that I know is to compare the Psalms and ask the question, what is unique about each one? What is unique about Psalm 7? Well, as you've read through Psalm 7, and if you're familiar with Psalm 7, you know there's a number of things that are strikingly unique about Psalm 7. And I think as we begin to explore those things, we begin to understand its use and understand how to use it. And I, I think as Christians, as a, as a Christian reader, when we read Psalm 7, I, I think one of the most alarming things to us occurs in verse 8. Uh, David says... Uh, he says that the Lord judges the peoples. That's not alarming to us. But in the next line, he says, Judge me, O Lord, according to what? According to my righteousness. Have you ever encountered that and paused? Have you ever read that and said, What? According, would anyone care to offer that prayer, by the way? Oh, Lord, judge me according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. As Christians, we read this and we say, what in the world do we do with this? I mean, after all, you know, hold your place in Psalm 7 and just turn to Psalm uh, 140, what's it, 143 maybe, 143. One forty-three. It's another psalm of David. The title ascribes it to David, same author. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is what? No one living is righteous. Seems to be contradictory, doesn't it? Psalm 7, he's asking the Lord to judge him according to his righteousness. And Psalm 143, we're with Psalm 143 makes sense to us. There's no one living who is righteous before you. And if you look at Psalm 14, you know, Psalm 14, another one a psalm that's ascribed to David. Verse 3, a fairly famous text. You know, Paul picks it up in Romans. David says, They have all, they being all of humanity, have turned aside together, have become corrupt. And he says, There is no one who what? There's no one who does good, not even one. And the Apostle Paul picks this up in his argument in Romans, chapter 3, which we'll be looking at in the future. It'll probably be a ways off before we get clear to Romans 3, but. He basically says there's no one who is righteous. So here we find ourselves with some alarming things back to Psalm 7 again. Uh, how can David say, Oh Lord, judge me according to my righteousness? Well, there are three things that are important in studying our Bible, and you know what those three things are, don't you? The first one is context. What's the second one? It's context. And anybody, the third? It's, it's context, isn't it? You know, I, I say that jokingly, but it's this. Let's look at the context. 
David is calling out to the Lord in verse 1, but he doesn't waste any time asking the Lord for salvation from this moment of crisis. In the second part of verse 1, he says, Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. So, so far in the psalm, we see there's somebody after David. Uh, he has some, something is pursuing him in order uh, with intentions of doing evil to him. Uh, he, uh, he emphasizes it in verse 2. He says, Lest, like a lion, they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. Uh, people in this culture, this ancient culture, would have understood what a lion was all about. Uh, this, is a very, this, this is a very graphic uh, uh, metaphor that David is using here. We see lions in cages at the zoo. Uh, I don't think any of us have ever went outside to take the garbage out and there was a lion back there. Uh, that would change everything if that were the case, wouldn't it? Uh, whatever this distress is, David is, David is very concerned. He's very concerned about the gravity and the graveness of it. Then in verse 3, he says, O oh Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there's any wrong in my hands, and verse 4 gives us a clue as to what's going on. He says, If I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause. So apparently what's going on is David is being falsely charged. Falsely charged of doing wrong to his friend, doing evil to his friend. You'll notice if you're looking at the ESV, there's a footnote there. Uh, in verse 4 after the word friend and if you follow it down in the margin note it says the one at peace with me some translations just go ahead and use the one if I've done evil to he who is at peace with me uh, that's the idea of, uh, of this unprovoked evil unprovoked uh, uh, evil malice towards somebody uh, David has uh, enemies that are claiming that he has done this and secondly, he says, uh, or if I have plundered my enemy without cause. Some translations read, or have robbed my enemy without cause. Uh, here, David is being, uh, it is being claimed that David has done some kind of evil, not only to those who are at peace with him, but also to uh, his enemies who have not provoked it. Uh, so he's being falsely accused. He's being falsely charged. Now, uh, I think... We hear this and we think, okay, I mean, it, it, it's terrible to be falsely accused of something. How many have been accused of things you haven't done in the course of your lifetime? We've probably all had our turn, haven't we? It's an awful feeling, isn't it? It's an awful feeling to sit back and think to yourself, do people really think I did that? Because once the charge is made, I mean, there are going to be people that think you did it. Even if you're cleared later, there's going to be people that think you did it. Uh, there'll be people that don't think you did it. But once it's out there, it does damage, doesn't it? Do people really think I did that? But in David's case, this is life-threatening. It's life-threatening uh, because of his station in life. Uh, there's this injustice that's taking place with David here. Uh, and that's what he is calling out. He's being false, falsely charged that stands out to us. If we continue to look at the psalm and look at some other things that stand out to us, I think verse 11 stands out. If you look at verse 11, and I really think verse 11 is really the center of the psalm. I think this is the real key to the psalm. God is a righteous judge and a God who what? Feels indignation every day. Uh, what is indignation? 
indignation is this strong displeasure uh, that perceives that some type of insult has taken place, some type of offense has taken place, some type of action has taken place. It could be rendered anger. If I remember correctly, I think the King James translation uses the word anger, uh, where it would read something like uh, uh, the God uh, feels anger every day. I think this really stands out. This wouldn't have stood out in previous generations of church history, but I think it stands out in the current hour that we find ourselves in uh, because all that we hear about is uh, God is love. And um, all we need is love, right? Wow, 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 wow. All we need is love. Wow, 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 wow. Right? Is that true? Do we ever stop to think about how silly that song is? Wow, 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 I like the song. It's okay. I'm not trying to take anything away from the Fab Four here. It's just a song, but let's not go believing it. Husbands in the room. Can you love your spouses and be unfaithful to them at the same time? Can you love your spouses and be abusive? Will she feel loved if you're abusive to her? No. And for good reason. Because you can't have love without morality. All we need is love. Can we have love without truth? Can we... I ask you again, if we're constantly lying to our spouses, will she feel loved? Can we have love without truth? Can we have love without faithfulness? Can we have love without justice? It's a silly notion that we can increase in injustice in our land that we can increase in unfaithfulness, that we can increase in immorality and just have love. If that isn't a lie, it is impossible. Yet there are thousands of people who are hollering this. All we need is love stuff. God is a God of righteousness. He feels indignation every day. Do we believe that? Is God really angry? I, I, I think that the church at large has it in their heads that God never gets angry. He doesn't get angry. But if He does get angry, it's really at the really bad guys. He doesn't get angry at the good guys. He gets angry at the really bad guys. But if God is loving, then He is righteous. And if He is righteous, He hates evil. Or is it loving? Is it loving for God just to forget about all of the terrible things that are going on under this sun? And say, I don't worry about it. It's no big deal. What do you mean it's no big deal? There's things that are going on, taking place probably as we speak, that are so horrible that I wouldn't mention them in a forum such as this. 
because I don't like to be real graphic that way. You know, there's some stories I think we're better off not hearing. Have you ever heard a story that's so gruesome that you wish you wouldn't have heard it after you did because you can't get it out of your head? That's the last thing I want to do with a message. Is God just to forget about that? Is He just to forget and act like it never happened? That will never happen. God is righteous. Notice what it says. God is righteous. God is a righteous judge. This is the centerpiece of this psalm. God is a righteous judge. And he feels indignation every day. Verse 12 is another verse I think that really, uh, we don't, perhaps we don't find it so, um, so striking, but there are many people in the church at large today that would find this very unstriking. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. That's what it says, isn't it? And it elaborates. He has bent and readied his bow. The picture is God with a bow, ready to go, aimed at the unrepentant. That's the last thing that the devil would want us to wake up to. He wants to, to, to inform us that everything's fine. Don't worry about that repentant stuff. You don't need that. All you need is love. God is love, and he's not going to judge you. You're going to be fine. You're a good person. You're okay. You're, you're fine. That's the predominant message in our land, isn't it? Where's that message coming from if it's not coming from Scripture? That's not the message we have here, is it? He has prepared for him, verse 13, his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. And it continues, verse 16, his mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. We have some striking things here. Let's start putting them together. What's going on here? David in this psalm would be what we would call the righteous sufferer. How can David, how can David say, Lord, judge me according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that was in me? And then other places say, there's no one who is righteous. What is going on here? What is going on here? Is David is referring to the matter at hand. He's referring to the matter at hand. He is being falsely accused of something he didn't do. In fact, his conscience is so clear that he says in verse 3, if I have done this, okay, what? This thing that I'm being accused of doing, if I have done this, if there's wrong in my hands, if I've repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. David is pronouncing an imprecation upon himself should he be guilty of what he, has, what he has done. That's what he would deserve if he's done this. And he's fine with that. He's consigned to that. If I've done this thing, this is what I deserve. Let him, let him take me. Let him take me. Let him trample my glory into this. But he knows he hasn't done it. He is the righteous sufferer. He has been falsely accused. Now, Having found himself falsely accused, how does he wrestle with God to come and deliver him? He appeals to the righteous character of God. That's what he's doing. 
This is not going to fly. How come? Because you're a righteous God who feels indignation every day. You see, that's the very center here. And you look at how it, how it, it fits. Listen, you're a righteous judge. And you're a God who sees everything. And you know I haven't done this. If I have done this, then let my glory be trampled into the dust. But you know better. You know I haven't done this. He's resting in the character of God. Namely, His righteous character. That He is a righteous judge. And then in verse 6, He says, Arise, Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake from me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you and over it return on high. He goes on to say the Lord judges the peoples. And then he says, judge me according to my righteousness in this matter. You see, what he's talking about is his righteousness in this matter. It pertains to the false charge that's being hurled against him now. Now, I think if I might make application here, and I think this is an important application for us to make and hang on to. Because I think as Christians, we have a tendency when we think of judgment, to think of judgment as Matthew 25 judgment, which we read earlier in the service. The sheep and the goats, Jesus returns in the last, uh, at the last hour. Uh, Jesus returns and he judges the sheep from the goats and that's the final uh, judgment. A lot of times when we think about judgment, we think about the final judgment, right? That's what's in our minds. But to the Jewish mind, and really, to the mind of the psalmist here, he's asking for judgment in this particular situation. He's asking for judgment over this particular matter, if you will. Does that make sense? Now, I think what's important for us is that if all we think about is the judgment at the end times, then it's easier for us to pass over all of the injustices that are taking place along the way. I've been guilty of that many, many times. As I have talked with people over the years, uh, people who, who believe in Jesus, people who don't believe in Jesus, uh, I, I think I've been guilty of thinking this way. Where really my mind is, listen, nobody's getting away with anything. They, they might get away with it for a time, but Jesus is going to catch up to them. And if, if anything else, it, you know, there's going to be a day of reckoning. And my mind is so set on that that I seem to be a bit relaxed about justice being performed in the here and the now. But Scripture doesn't allow for that, does it? Psalm 7 doesn't allow for that. Now, some of us might think, you know, man, I'm glad that I'm not in a position like King David and I'm glad that, uh, you know, something like this could never happen to me. Whoa, wait a second. It could happen to you in an hour. Should you be caught up in some cell phone video that seems to implicate you in something? And should that cell phone video go viral? And you find yourself being judged in the courts of social media. We could be an hour from this. It would be unkind of me to go into some details, but there's been some local people who've had exactly that happen to them, where a, a, a snapshot, a picture has been, uh, has been uh, made of them in a particular posture or doing a particular thing, and it kind of looked like they were doing something, and it was posted on, on social media with a little caption under it, and off it goes, and it looks like this person's done this thing that they said they've done. Once that's in people's minds, it doesn't come back out, does it? 
All day long this is happening, isn't it? As Christians, we shouldn't be part of that. We can't try cases with limited information like that, can we? I mean, sometimes the cell phone footage is exactly what it suggests it is. Sometimes we see the footage and what we, what we are seeing is, that's it. That's exactly what happened. But that's not always the case. Because we're seeing the situation like this. And we're only seeing a few seconds of it. And we're not seeing all the things that are going on around it. But it's becoming increasingly popular to find yourself in these kinds of problems. That's a terrible injustice to many, many people, isn't it? Psalm 7 doesn't allow us just to skip over that. It doesn't allow for that. We need to be concerned about justice as we go along the way. We need to be concerned about justice. So what is David doing? He finds himself in the dock. He calls out to God. He lifts his concerns uh, to God. He lifts the crisis to God. And how does he wrestle with God? He wrestles with God by wrestling with the fact that God is a righteous God. He hates injustice. God will make all wrongs right. Now, if God hates injustice, then we should too, shouldn't we? So it always brings harm to people. See, God can't be perfectly loving and be okay with injustice because injustice brings terrible, terrible harm to people, doesn't it? A couple of quick thoughts and uh, conclude. Um, this psalm is only to be used when the conscience is clear, obviously. If David would have done this thing that he's been accused of doing, this wouldn't be the psalm he would want to use now, is it? Psalm 51 would be a better psalm. Uh, perhaps. Uh, Psalm 7 is for when the conscience is clear. It's an argument from God's righteousness. And uh, uh, it's also, it, 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 if you look at verse 17, it resolves to thankfulness and praise. The psalmist says, I'll give to the Lord the thanks due to His righteousness and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Why? Because this is a done deal. Justice will, be, will indeed be uh, executed and the justice will be appropriate. And what I want to conclude on is how this psalm points to Christ. How does this psalm point to Christ? If you're in Christ this morning, it's not like God just turned His back on all the things that we've done and said, don't worry about it, forget about it. God is a righteous judge. How is He able to offer you and me forgiveness for all the horrible things we've done in the past and horrible things that we're going to do in the future. How does God offer us forgiveness? It's because the righteous God marched against Jesus in our place, isn't it? It's because Christ suffered in our place. Did you see how Psalm 7 points that way? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this great psalm. We thank you, Father, for loving us so much that you would, you would give us such a comprehensive word. As we find ourselves suffering unjustly, as we find ourselves 
being falsely accused, this is a, a psalm that would give us great comfort. And, and though we may be sitting here not being falsely accused this morning, the psalm might not be so meaningful, but should we find ourselves in the dock, oh Lord, this psalm would, be become, a, uh, it would become our heartbeat. Uh, well, Father, we pray that, Lord, you would fill our hearts with this, that uh, to such a degree that, Father, uh, we would be found to be a people who really long for justice to take place, that uh, we would feel injustice as intensely as we feel sorrow when we hear about um, folks suffering, in cancer, suffering with cancer to such a degree they can't get out of bed. So, Father, help us to be more balanced in our, our thinking, Lord, as we, as we think this. So train us, O oh Father, in righteousness, we pray. And help us, O oh Father, um, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.